One of the beautiful things I think about arriving at the second half-ish of life, somewhere beyond the midlife crossroad, as I call it, is an awakening where we recognize that the way that we have been doing life is not the way that we're going to move forward. And it's not a given, but it is an opportunity for us to re-envision our way of being in our body and life, to listen inward and trust the things we hear to step out bravely into, you know, new work or new adventures, whatever that is for the person. Um, and to learn a kinder way of being, you know, a kinder, a more soul honoring and sustainable way of being in our bodies and lives. So today we are wrapping up the conversation on rest. We're viewing it through the needs of midlife women. Um, and you may not be, you know, you may not fit neat and tidy into that category and that is totally okay. Um, and I view that category fairly broadly, to be honest, you know, somewhere around 40-ish to early 70s. And and so we're thinking about rest, we're questioning our patterns, and hopefully all of us are curious about and willing to practice weaving more rest into our lives. So welcome. I'm Krista, founder of alifeinprogress.ca and rebrandingmiddleage.com. I offer my work as a writer, grief and trauma-informed mind-body coach, and joyful living educator. My work is for freedom seekers, truth-tellers, and stubborn questioners, highly sensitive souls, slow movers, and non-hustlers, the anxious, grieving, weary, and healing, reforming people-pleasers, perfectionists, performers, and peacekeepers, and brave, messy, curious humans, ready to quiet the conditioning and noise to reclaim freedom, wholeness, and joy. I'm glad you're here. If you haven't listened to part one, you should probably start there. Um, I walk you a little bit, just kind of super loosely through my life visioning flow chart. The why, the what, and the how. And last time we started in the why and the what sections. And so those are, that's where we anchor any habit or choice into our core values. The season of life that we're in, our honest capacity in this season, for instance. And that's critical work because otherwise, I'll, you know, I've mentioned this before, but what I don't want, because it isn't, it isn't sustainable and it isn't life-giving. So what I don't want is that we just jump on a bandwagon 
um, or constantly kind of flit from one new idea to the other. And instead, allow ourselves a little bit of a longer pause so that we get really clear on why something matters to us and and why or how it can best work if it's valuable to us in this season how it can work you know honoring our wiring and honoring our capacity etc so Anyway, so a reminder to grab that PDF if you haven't yet. Also, take a look at the rest worksheets that I've provided um, and talked about last time. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the how of rest. Hopefully, there's even one new nugget here for you, you know, something to... Um, just give you a little bit of a push towards loving yourself well by making space for rest. Um, I'm going to share the 10 commandments of rest as offered by Alex Sujung Kim Pang in his book Rest from 2018. And I'll just share some other ideas around you know the the topic. So I would love to hear from you. You can always email me at Krista at a lifeinprogress.ca. Tell me what comes up for you when you listen. Um, how are you practicing? Where are you struggling? What would you like to know more about, etc. Okay, so I'm just gonna dive right into the 10 commandments of rest and share just a teeny bit with you of each. So number one, take rest seriously. So hard work and deliberate rest are partners. Each sustains and supports the other. Rest helps restore our mental and physical well-being, gives us energy, focus, and resilience, and helps us to be more productive. Downtime is also when we're most likely to have ideas, inspiration, and creative breakthroughs. Number two, focus. Um, so this is about, like, it's almost about like energy and focus management. So how we can set up our work schedules or our day-to-day -day in a way that gives us some focus times of work or attending to the task at hand, and then with breaks. So, here, the author talks about how very creative people work in highly intensive daily bursts of four or five hours, divided into 90 to 120 minute periods with short breaks. And then they're done. Um, I, I didn't, you know, in preparation for this podcast, I didn't dive into the research to see if there's anything, you know, whatever the latest info is. But I know that I've read research that talked about how mostly as a human, we can sustain focused attention for maybe four hours a day, you know, and so the work day is there's a lot of wasted time in it. Um, there's research around the four day work week and why that is more productive, etc. So there's lots of good stuff out there. 
Um, so this is an invitation for you to think though about how you best work. And so I'm just gonna offer up one personal example that is just super recent. So when I'm writing my book, my I've had to experiment with what works with my current pace and you know schedule and everything. And currently what's working for me well enough is four two-hour writing blocks just for my book in the week with 30 minutes before each one of them where I can work through all of my resistance on excuses before I sit my butt in the chair. Okay, so what I notice for myself is it takes me about 20 minutes to just focus and then it's like, and it feels like pulling teeth. And then all of a sudden, two hours just flies by. Um, I was talking with somebody who is a published author and she was telling me that she'll do like 20 minutes a day. Just, it's like pulling teeth. She'll force herself, set a timer, sit down, you know, kind of brain dump or whatever, no editing, 20 minutes at a time, walk away. Except if she's in the later stages of publishing and then she has to write longer days. On um, a recent podcast by Emily P. Freeman, she's published lots of books. And um, she shared that her current writing schedule in this season includes five 90 minute writing blocks a week. So she's doing three of these writing blocks on Thursday, two on Friday, and then she calls it good. Now you may not be writing, that's really not the point, but I'm always fascinated by how people tick, what works for them and why. And so I love hearing stuff like this. I guess another little tidbit, Stephen King, you know, highly prolific author, um, he shared in his book on writing that he writes and reads four to six hours a day. Anyway, so when the one person mentioned that she does 20 minute spurts, I was, I was just thinking to myself, like, it takes me 20 minutes just to focus my brain and actually find my words. So that wouldn't work for me for writing, but sometimes that is how I can motivate myself to do other things, you know? And so I could apply that to rest. I, I apply it, for instance, like when I was just getting used to walking on my treadmill again, I used to walk on it all the time and loved it. And, but I got out of the habit and to rebuild it, I was just like, just walk for 20 minutes, Krista. And then slowly I expanded that to 30 minutes. That's where I am right now. Um, so anyways, the, the thing is like, just notice the cycles that work for you and build rest into your day. That's one thing that you could think of. I know I'm being kind of long-winded about this one point. Um, but another point here is make sure that you have enough padding between tasks. That's another way of just staying focused and then breathe for a bit, then come on back for something focused and then breathe. And when we know that we're going to have some rest, even if it's just enough time to go grab a snack, go to the bathroom, grab water or something, it helps us just focus on the task at hand. Number three, layer work and rest. Super creative people alternate periods of intensive work with periods of deliberate rest. Um... So after a couple hours of sustained focus, don't pick up your phone or immediately start answering letters or email. Take a few minutes, 
find a corner in the cafeteria, let your mind wander or get out for a walk or something, just walk around the block. But make sure you carry a notebook because you might have, you know, a sudden little idea pop up. Number four, get an early start. Um, many people do their most important work in the early morning. People who are night owls are actually more creative in the early morning. There are fewer distractions, so it's easier to focus. Um, so I do want I do want to make a comment about this. When I had like all my kids were at home. Um, whenever I would read anything about, you know, these people that would be up at 530 in the morning exercising or 430 in the morning, I'm like, that isn't even morning. That's like literally night. <laughs> you should be in bed. I would just feel a, like I would cry sometimes or that's kind of how I would feel. I was just like in despair. I'm like, I can barely drag my butt out of bed at this time. You know, like I was exhausted and so if, you know, just take anything here with a grain of salt. It, it really, this is why it's so important to name the season we're in and name our honest capacity, right? So if you're going through menopause and your sleep is super disrupted, honor that. If you have, you know, little people still at home and you are exhausted, um, you know, honor that. I'm noticing that because I'm an an empty nest in the at this time that I'm naturally getting to bed at a more consistent, decent time. And I'm naturally able to get up earlier than I did in the past, but I'm still not a 5.30 in the morning girl. Never will be, I don't think. All right, so, um, but what is really helpful is notice when do you feel most creative? When do you feel most alert? And, schedule, you know, put time blocks into your days for the um, sort of like the energy that matches that time of day. Hopefully that makes sense. And then give yourself the, you know, when there's a natural lull, try to work with that, not against it as much as possible. So, okay, one more thought. For me, I have a rest hour at three or four. And, and then that gives me the energy and the focus I need for the rest of my day and kind of evening. So number five, detach from work. Taking the time to rest is important, but so is paying attention to the quality of your rest. Psychologists find that people who keep busy during their free time, who don't check their email at night and on weekends, and who truly leave work behind when they go on vacation are happier, more productive, and more resilient at work. They call it detachment. And the more of it you have, the more restorative your downtime will be. So, you know, I work with all sorts of people and some of my clients are doctors. And just as an example, you know, physicians are, it's notoriously hard to detach from work. Um, there's always a need. And it can be, but, you know, and you may not be a physician, but you may be in a, in a field of work or maybe a parenting season where somebody always wants you. The, it may be appropriate to look at, you know, your life 
and figure out when could you leave the phone in the other room? When could you turn it off? Could you turn off all notifications? If it is, you know, and even if there is outside resistance, that may be what you need to stay mind, body, spirit healthy. Number six, detach from devices. To experience the kind of rest that recharges our bodies and minds and fuels creativity and productivity, we need to detach from work. Um, but, you know, with our phones and iPads and everything, we just carry all the noise with us everywhere we go. So it's not even enough to refrain from checking our devices or just to put them on vibrate. The mere presence of a smartphone or device, even if it's not being used, alters our inner world and our connection with others. Um, I remember reading some uh, study years ago now, um, and I, I don't remember the details, but it was something along the lines of like, so every distraction, like a beep, uh, you know, a notification, for instance, it just takes about 20 minutes for you to refocus. So that's a good reason to have no sounds and notifications on. Um, and, but even a device being in the same room or within your line of sight, it disrupts your focus like this huge amount that I can't remember specifically. So, and I can certainly see that for myself, that there are times where I have to leave my phone in another room. I don't take it on walks in the wooded trail, even though it would be nice sometimes to take a picture of the moose I see. It's just, it's better for me and more soul honoring to leave that behind. Um, and if I'm writing, I, I don't have a, a phone in my line of vision because of how it disrupts me. So that's another thing to consider when you're thinking about rest and different types of rest. Number seven, take a week off every season. Scientists have found that happiness or the happiness and relaxation we feel on vacation peaks after about a week. While the psychological benefits of a vacation last up to two months, the ideal vacation schedule is to take a week off every three months. Um, I, so, yeah, so I guess, you know, work with what you can and think about all or something instead of all or nothing, you know, maybe you can't take a full week off. Maybe you can, you know, maybe it's as simple as setting some better boundaries. And maybe for you, it's like, could I take a long weekend every quarter? You know, we start where we can and yeah. Um, but the key is to make it a real vacation and not just a week of working in a place with more sand. So in my schedule, I try to be really conscious of, I, I block out in my Google calendar in different colors, certain times that are like about true rest. And then there's other more flexible weeks where maybe I'm doing a bit of rest, but also some work or whatever. And I find that that helps me be honest with myself about the intention and also to do a better job of tracking and even kind of forcing myself to move into deep, like true rest 
throughout the year at these different times because it's so easy to, you know, there's always reasons why, you know, um, it's so easy to end up doing just a little bit of work, you know. Number eight is practice deep play. People who have long productive lives practice deep play. They have hobbies or enjoy sports or activities that offer some of the same psychological rewards as their jobs, but in a different setting and without the frustrations of work. So different people find the same activity restorative for different reasons. Um, I'm not going to read that. So deep play is especially important for people who don't have a lot of control over their daily schedules, have to work long hours, or who love their jobs but are prone to overworking. So, um, you know, so deep play, I guess, would be about like what other things are life-giving, what things help us feel fully alive, what things fill our cup. And again, I, I, encourage you to look at the worksheets on eight types of rest because this isn't only about napping you know it's there are like painting for you may be so restorative hiking for another person might be that thing or music or whatever cooking you know so it really is individual and it's really helpful to recognize that we can feel deep restoration, even in doing, you know, as long as it is a soul honoring thing. Number nine, get plenty of exercise. Um, yeah, so moving our body, and I like to talk about joyful movement. Um, moving our body has, you know, so many benefits. And I'm not going to touch on all of them, but you know, it helps us to sleep better. It help, tends to help us feel completely apart from any type of weight conversation or anything else. Movement just tends to help us feel more empowered in our bodies. Um, it can, it contributes to longevity and a life well-lived. In particular, middle age, we want to be thinking about lower body strength and building muscle mass so that we can be independent. Also functional movement, because tripping hazards and stuff like that can end up, you know, leading us down a path of physical issues or injury. So, you know, thinking about different types of movement, but also it doesn't have to, it can be joyful, you know, gardening, um, get, you know, walks in nature, dancing, whatever is the thing that gets you just moving and feeling good in your body is going to have a whole cascade of benefits. And I would say that like certain forms of movement for me, it I, they don't, they're not all restful. They in, in the physical realm, but they may be like restorative to my soul or, you know, they, like walking in the woods or getting out to the mountains, for instance, it contributes to sensory rest, emotional rest, psychological rest. And there's like this real decompression that happens, even if my body is 
more tired. So number 10, get plenty of sleep. Um, so sleep is like the number one thing. Um, some people don't consider, they, they separate sleep from other forms of rest. To me, it doesn't really matter. We need it all. Um, and lack of sleep and lack of rest contri contributes to different, you know, anxiety and depression in some cases, um, increases our health risks for lots of different things. You know, again, not going to go into it and don't have it right in front of me. But we do obviously have to be conscious of our sleep patterns, our sleep habits, get help where needed in midlife for women. Um, you know, we're often experiencing hormonal shifts and that can disrupt our sleep and all of that. So it's like, don't despair, but do take good care of yourself and reach out for appropriate support where needed or experiment to improve your sleep and other forms of rest. All right, so that was kind of long. I'm going to try to move quickly through these other points. Um, these, these are just other ideas in the how, like how might we consider weaving in some more rest? So one quiet, the noise. So, you know, I touched on sensory stuff, um, but also there's this like the noise of social media and just constant media and whose voices we're listening to that can have a huge impact on us. So just being honest about that, like how much time are we online? Is it life-giving or draining? Who are we following? Whose voices are we listening to? Do we need to unsubscribe or unfollow? Do the people that we follow create urgency and or do they model a more soul honoring way of being in our body and life? What are we reading? You know, again, like think about the influences that we're allowing into our sacred spaces. And then thinking about the people that we spend the most time with online or in person. We know that we are highly impacted by the people that we spend the most time with. So we really do need to be aware and honest about who have we allowed into our inner circles and are they modeling our values? Like, are they helping us become the people that we want to be or helping us build the lives that we want? And if they're not, then we might need to make some hard choices, whether about ending the relationship or simply moving them a little bit further out in our circle of impact. Building self-trust is an ongoing process and building safety. And we can even start in really small ways like here, you know, noticing when our body is thirsty and getting up to go get water. Noticing when we need to go to the bathroom, noticing when we're just exhausted, could we could we close our eyes for 15 minutes? Um, it's like just listening to even the most basic body cues and responding to those. We can start to build self-trust and internal safety, even in these tiny little ways. We can build moments of micro rest into the days. Again, I touched on this before, you know, thinking about a little bit more padding between activities or clients. Um, 
you know, could you have 15 minutes or 20 minutes of rest when you walk in the door from work before you start on the to-do list? Um, could, you know, a five minute breather at work between clients or even just could you take your lunch break, you know, instead of working through it? Getting a little bit more flexible or experimenting with forms of rest. So yoga nidra is an interesting one. I haven't done it in a long while. Um, but when I was having like living with severe panic disorder and dissociating a lot because of trauma, that's where I started to practice. Um, yoga nidra, even 20 minutes. So I have looked into, you know, is there any real solid evidence for this? And I found some good stuff. I think that, there, you know, we need more research around this. But there was some that suggested that even 20 minutes of yoga nidra might give you the same benefits as three to four hours of sleep, which is pretty incredible. I'm just going to fact check myself here if I can do it quickly, because I can't remember if it's two to three hours or three to four. If I can't find it quickly, I'll move on. Mm. Yeah, okay. Maybe as restful as two to four hours of sleep. So sometimes we just need to experiment. And, you know, just because there's a lot of hype around something or a lot of evidence for it or everybody you know is, is loving it doesn't mean it's the thing for you. That's okay too. Permission to ask for and receive help, to say no more, and oh boy, to set healthier boundaries. These are all really important to this conversation around rest. I have posts on my site about boundaries. I've think I've talked about boundaries on different previous episodes here. Um, I have a couple workshops available to help you build the skill around this in some real practical ways, if that's something that would meet a need in your life right now. Um, your devices, I've touched on that, I won't say more, but oof, I think we have to think about our relationship to our devices. Um, is your home conducive to rest? Uh, I think I'm going to wrap up here. So our homes are, I believe, sacred spaces. And we have permission to and a responsibility to ensure that our homes feel safe. And they support us in showing up fully or feeling fully alive and, you know, living with freedom, wholeness and joy. Because we share our spaces often with other people, it's a negotiation. You know, it may not be an all or nothing thing, but does your home support rest? Are there sensory things that you could change, like not having a large TV in your main living space? Just as one example, unless that brings you great joy. Um, you know, like maybe the drum set isn't working for you and that needs to, you know, go out to the garage. Like, I don't know, they're just whatever. Are just thinking about our homes because it's such important, uh, such an important place for us to be restored. That's really important. You know, it could be just like, do you need a new mattress? Um, 
do you need to get the laundry out of your bedroom? You know, just look around your, your home and come up with some ways to help your home feel more restful. Okay, I hope that these conversations feel helpful to you and it's not just more noise. Again, I'd love to hear from you. What stands out to you? What's helpful? What questions do you have? What are you learning or stretching in? Um, it would make me happy to hear. You can email me at krista at alifeinprogress.ca. So one little idea to practice imperfect action this week would be to get those rest worksheets that I've mentioned and work through them, you know, come up with some ideas for those different forms of rest, or just choose one or two that really stand out to you and start playing with those. So for you, for instance, it might be sensory rest, you know, are you a highly sensitive human? Um, that might be a really great place to just start experimenting a little bit more so that you feel more rested and you give yourself permission to rest. Um, and finally, you can, until March 1st, you can get, you can register for the new Joy Workshop for free. Um, I would love to spend time with you there. More details can be found on my website at lifeinprogress.ca. Um, again, that's free for my anybody in my email community um, until, yeah, until March 1st. And yeah, that's it. Hope you'll enjoy that and join me there. Um, you'll have some time after to watch the replay if you can't join live. It'll be a limited time, but you know, you'll have time. All right, so thanks for being here and until next time, make peace with messiness to make space for joy.